the relationship between athletes and cannabis has long been decried for its perceived negative association. Thankfully, that misconception is being reshaped as athletes are now experiencing a certain form of liberation, one which has inspired them to move from the shadows and serve as advocates for the medicine that they deem so vital. These stories are worthy of greater attention and will serve to help augment the discourse around medicinal cannabis. The cannabis culture and sport deserves to be celebrated, not maligned. And these conversations will move us in that direction. Welcome to Winning with Cannabis with your host, Bill Bronner. Greetings. This is Bill Bronner, your host for Winning with Cannabis. I'm pleased to be joined by Floyd Landis, professional cyclist, um, someone who I grew up rooting for and am still rooting for. So I'm uh, delighted to have you on the show, Floyd. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, thanks. I appreciate the support. You mentioned that it's uh, it's snowing up there in the Rockies. You reside in Leadville, a place that uh, is quite defining for me and I'm sure for you. And you've been embraced by the community and enjoy life in the uh, you know life in the Rockies. Yeah, it's great. Everybody should spend a year in Leadville just to reconnect with uh, some other reality that's not you know fast paced. It's good it's for your soul. A far cry from Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where it all began, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. But no, it's good. Lancaster's a great place too, but um, I like Leadville. It's a great little mountain town. Yeah. Well, speaking of Lancaster, um, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up there. I know that you uh, grew up in the Mennonite community, which, uh, you know, obviously was a fairly extraordinary existence to say the least. What was like growing up in, in that area and how eventually did you come to the world of, of cycling? I remember that you had initially become kind of a mountain biking enthusiast and obviously that translated to uh to road biking but yeah please shine a light on that uh, period of your life yeah like so i i you know grew up there like you said in the Mennonite community which uh, most people are more familiar with the amish um variation of of what is very similar religions um Mennonites similar to that they're just a, often a little bit more um progressive when it comes to technology and things like that. They, they, they don't have TVs or radio. They try to avoid, you know, outside cultural things, but they don't, they don't, you know, they, they allow, they allow their members to have cars and electricity in general, um, things like that. But it's, it's a community, but it's based on, you know, based on a religion. Um, and it's, you know, they're, they're pacifists, which <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh, but um they're, they're good people. I mean, it's a great way to grow up as far as religions goes. It's a good community that takes care of each other and I had wonderful parents, but I was a little more adventurous than my brothers and sisters. And so um, I just, by chance, you know, mountain biking in, when I was in high school in the early 90s kind of was becoming a thing. It was um, really probably at its most popular about that point. And um, got a mountain bike at a local bike shop and those guys would put on races and ask me to come to a couple of them. And, you know, I had some talent. So I won the, you know, junior beginner races that I was in and felt like I was king of the world. And it kind of led to, you know, led to my traveling around the world and racing bicycles for, you know, 15 years. So yeah, I got to, <laughs> I got to grow up in Lancaster, but I got to see a lot of the world um, from, from the bicycle experience. Do you still have, obviously, I'm sure you still have firm roots in Lancaster. Do you get back there um, often? Yeah, absolutely. So my, my parents and brothers and sisters and all my, more or less all of my relatives still live in Lancaster. Um, we grew, uh, 
we grow a crop of hemp this year for our CBD line um, with a group of Amish that we put together. We have about 50 Amish farmers grow a couple acres each, and we have a, a extraction and manufacturing uh, facility in, in um, York County, which is right across the Susquehanna River from. That's terrific. And you, you obviously yeah. helped spur that, I guess, kind of driving force behind that uh, that expansion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We, we um, I mean, you know, there's, there were most of the hemp in the country, as you know, was grown Oregon and Colorado and Kentucky and small amounts in some other states until very recently. And the Amish farmers have been looking for, you know, a new cash crop for a long time. They relied on, on uh, tobacco, but that's kind of nowhere near the value that it used to be. And, and farmers are just suffering in general, right? Because the food prices are low and you can't make any money growing corn. So they found it um, to be an appealing thing after a little bit of internal dialogue with the, with the bishop there at the church, but um, they decided it was, it was worth doing. And, and it's, it's a good crop for them, right? Because it requires a lot of sort of manual labor and that's what they're used to. So it's a good resource to have. And um, it's a great climate to grow it. I mean, it's just that it up until, you know, this year wasn't legal on any on a meaningful scale in PA. Mm. Um, and, and I, I don't um, have a, terribly firm grasp on the legal realities surrounding medical cannabis in, in Pennsylvania. I know it's kind of in its fledgling state, but I, I suspect you have a much better finger on the pulse of those movements. Uh, is there a light at the end of the tunnel or is it a bit more murky? No. So they've legalized medical cannabis oh, they have, okay. and, and it's, yeah, like you said, it's in its infancy and you've seen it happen in other States, right? So prices are fairly high and, and the supply is limited the dispensaries. The few that there are will often run out of product. So Pennsylvania is proposing some legislation for uh, recreational marijuana that's a little bit unusual. I haven't seen it in any other state, although it may have been proposed and maybe not passed, but their, their current plan is to sell it through um, the current network of, of um, state liquor stores. They have a, weird scheme here that's been loosened up a lot in the last you know 10 years but up until very recently in pa even alcohol was was controlled such it was only sold through state stores and there was restrictions on it um that's been loosened up but now they're proposing that marijuana be sold through that particular channel so i'm not sure how that'll look um when it all when it's all said that'll even pass but at, at the moment there is rec or there is medical um but like i said it's it's only a few years old and the you know, it's infrastructure for supporting it on a, on a, you know, scale that it probably should be, isn't quite there yet. That sounds like incremental progress and the yeah, uh, yeah. compass yeah. is pointing in the right direction. I want to deviate real quickly and uh, kind of shift the spotlight to um, your time in, in Paris um, and obviously how that, uh, that experience was, you know, change your life kind of immeasurably in terms of the trajectory of it. And also, if you don't mind, um, you know, just providing your, uh, your, your, your insights on, um, you know, marijuana use just in general in professional cycling at that time. And, you know, I guess it was, what, 2006, if I remember correctly. Um, and, 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 you know, as you were transitioning through your youth, if um, obviously, you know, in terms of public perception, uh, the, the world of cannabis was was sharply different. But still curious whether or not it was, uh, you know, used by 
cyclists um, just recreationally as uh, as it was in you know throughout kind of society at the time. So, at, you know, 2006 was the last year I raced in Europe, um, and I raced there, you know, five six years previous to that. And at that time, the I think the policy, uh, the anti-doping policy, I, I shouldn't say I think, I know, I don't know when it exactly it changed, but it was after that, um, was that marijuana was a prohibited substance. And so it wasn't generally, I mean, I know people would use it in the off season recreationally, but um, there was way too much risk to use it during, during actual season or training uh, where you might be tested. Um, so it wasn't a huge part of that culture at that time. And and just as as an aside, I saw yesterday that the MLB decided to take marijuana off of their prohibited substance list. And but the, the strange thing I thought about, I saw about that was that they also at the same time decided to start testing for cocaine and narcotics, which is bizarre. I, I was very surprised that they weren't testing for that, you know, already. Um, as far as cycling goes, they're underneath the World Anti-Doping Agency, which is the Olympic Committee's... Um, sort of subdivision that deals with um, anti-doping testing and, um, and and processing that information. And so they that organization has loosened up their restrictions on it now such that they're – and it's, I'm not exactly sure how they're, as a, as a practical matter, applying it, but they, um, they allow marijuana out of competition, which means that if you're tested any time other than after an event or during an event – that it's it's allowed now i don't know how they're they're determining um other than just a really high threshold whether or not it was used you know that day or the day before it's kind of complicated with metabolites of thc metabolites staying around for a long time um but they they did raise the the what they call the positivity criteria the threshold for um you know urine samples from I think 50 nanograms per milliliter to somewhere around 150, so three times as high as it was. And there haven't been, there's been a couple of, of cases where people have had marijuana positives in, in cycling in the last couple of years. But so as far as, as WADA's um, policy on that currently, marijuana is all but you know allowed. It's not openly discussed um, by most cyclists, as, as with most professional sports. You know, there'll be a few players here and there, even in American sports that are talk about it. But most of them, although most people know they, that they use it for various reasons, um, don't want to talk about it, don't want to be the face of it um, at the moment. But I think that's changing in the baseball. Um, MLB rule change is a good step in that direction. But as it applies to back when I was racing, you know, we um, it, it really was too much of a risk to use it, um, even for pain management, just because of those risk of a positive test. Um, and these things are changing, you know, together, right? The, the view of the view of it, the cultural view of it, and the rules. So we're going in the right direction. It's just I wish it was faster. I agree. We're going to take a brief commercial break, and then we'll uh, resume where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living 
while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be you could be 80 years old or eight years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now About a game for your phone gonna make you say wow The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash Little by little your empire grows large Put different celebrities inside your entourage You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong The name of the game is Himping, that's the point Download and play while you light yourself a joint the business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Trends and technology, processes and products. We cover these areas and more on the cutting edge of cannabis. Be informed from the latest initiators of new innovation. Learn about the latest breakthroughs and best practices in the cannabis and hemp industries. Better products, better infrastructure, and better sustainability. The Cutting Edge of Cannabis, consulted by the American Cannabis Company. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right. We're back with um, Floyd Landis, and Floyd, you were mentioning previously about uh, just shedding some light on your experience in professional uh, racing ranks over in Europe, uh, more specifically um, your your time at the the, the Tour de France. Um, I'm not so interested in, in in the episode there in 2006. I'm, I'm more interested in in the aftermath uh, that ensued. And uh, I, I know you were in an, um, an unimaginable situation and one that sadly endured for far longer than I'm sure you would have liked. Um, that's putting it mildly. How were you able to kind of forge through it all? Um, you know, being that you had a, you know, a, a family and, and trying to launch your career um, post-cycling. Um, I, I know that's a fairly loaded question, but if you can, uh, just, you know, try to give us a better understanding of, 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 of what those challenges were like and, and again, how we were able to surround them. Yeah. So that, I mean, as you might imagine, it was a pretty dark period for me. I didn't really, I mean, as much as we, we knew the risks we were taking, you never think that, that it's going to happen to you in, in, in that way, right? Just sort of the magnitude of, of the way it happened where I won the Tour de France. And then of course I was the first winner after Lance Armstrong and, and there was always a lot of rumors about Armstrong and the Postal Service team, which I raced for for a couple of years before that. Um, and so I wasn't prepared at all. I mean, Lance had, by that point, had, you know, a real PR team and a real strategy for any kind of crisis like this. But I just simply wasn't prepared. And, um, yeah, you, you, you can look back. I think anybody can at some some things in your life. And even no matter how complex it is, wish, wish you had done some things differently. But... I just felt at that time, I mean, and now it's, it's, it's harder to see now unless you try to envision and remember how it was, you know, 
this was 12, 13 years ago, um, a lot of things hadn't happened, like the, the Balco thing hadn't happened and on all these other, you know, larger doping stories hadn't transpired in the, in the press at least and people just weren't aware. So if you got singled out like that, you kind of were on your own to deal with it. Um, and so, you know, I dealt with it the best I could. I just kind of, I think what, what it really took to, to get through was time and there was some dark years where I drank too much alcohol and, you know, <laughs> felt sorry for myself, but, um, it, it did help that, that just sort of culturally it became a subject that people are, have a better grasp on, on the reality of it now, not just the, you know, one story here and there about that, that appears as though it's, you know, isolated in, incidents or individuals. And it's, it's not that at all. So I guess, you know, it's, it just, it's easier to tell the story now when people have a better perspective on it. Understood. What, what was cannabis a, a central um, kind of outlet for you uh, during that dark period, or was it something that was discovered afterward? And in doing so, um, you know, allowed you to kind of uh, kind of press the the proverbial reset button. No, that's kind of when I discovered it, and you know, I <clears throat> I'd been I had my hip replaced because I had a, had an injury a few years previous to that. I had a hip replacement in two thousand six after that tour, and so of course they prescribed <clears throat> Vicodin and and Norco and some other just opiate painkillers, which, which are, are fine and have value for, you know, a, a period of time after a surgery like that, where you have real inflammation and real pain. But the problem is if you get those and you have access to them and you have other just issues going on in your mind and, and in your life, it's easy to just start to rely on them. And so for years, I took way too many of those and I was one of the lucky ones that made it through that. But, um, you know, at some point I, I, started I kind of replaced it with marijuana which by this point wasn't really using it as much for pain as I was I was just kind of hooked on them right um and and I did have pain from time to time which was why it was hard to get off it so I would think well I'll just not justify it in my head now I'm using it for pain and so I started using marijuana just at night if I would have aches and pains and, and it's made a huge difference in my life I mean I know even even I've been guilty of at, at some point as as some people with just the view of of medical cannabis being sort of just an end run around the law, right? People saying, "Oh, this is medicinal," but they really just wanted to get high. Not, not that I was judging them for wanting to get high. I just saw it as well, and I partly because I was young and didn't have a reason to to use it or or need it, right? Medicinally, so it's easy to make judgments at that point. But now, having used it for years now to just to manage pain and, and even anxiety, I got to tell you, it's it's um, those people are are misguided and. And the one good thing I do see happening, though, is that it, it and I didn't really envision it happening this way, but people, a lot of people now are, are a lot more accepting of, of hemp-based products, and, and they're using these, you know, very similar or even the same cannabinoids for that very purpose. And I think it's helping them start to maybe open their eyes that, look, this stuff does have real, real medical value. Not that it doesn't also have recreational value, which I enjoy as much as anybody, but... Um, the, the argument that, you know, that it, this should be allowed for people to use as a medicine is, is very valid and, and not to be um, discounted the way some people do. Un- understanding that, uh, you know, obviously, you know, cannabis was wonderfully influential through that dark period and really aided in helping you kind of, uh, you know, kind of revitalize yourself and, and create a, a, a new vision for what life could be knowing 
the wake of what happened in in, uh, in 2006. So take me to the emergence of of your company and and how that uh, came into being and um, a little bit of the background about its uh, its ascent from kind of where it started and where it's at now and, and what your uh, long-term vision is from here forward. So I had moved to Colorado a few years before uh, the legalized recreational marijuana um, had been working at a compounding pharmacy there just south of Denver and Parker. Um, and one of the requirements that they had, you know, when that initially when that law passed was all, all of the capital and all of the ownership of any of these licenses had to come from within Colorado and there was a you know period of time where you had to have lived there and so I was lucky that I had been living there and I thought you know I, up until that point hadn't ne- ever really crossed my mind that I would get into the business but I, I said to myself look I, I think this is um, as much as it the jokes about it sort of write themselves. I'm selling dope now, right? Of course, there was the, the headlines that were too easy to write, but it but it got us some publicity and it and helped us sort of start the brand there. Um, and you know, it's not my favorite thing dealing with that level of regulation, but I think that certainly the state of Colorado did it, given that there wasn't really a template to call did it very well and, and they've loosened those restrictions up a little bit over time not the regulatory side but just you know where capital can come from and who can be owners and things like that but I think the state did a very good job we've seen other states do it in different ways and it hasn't gone quite as well and we've seen states that just sort of copied Colorado which have gone pretty well so I mean I think a lot of it was luck that I was at the right place at the right time where they they, they did it well it's your I imagine your target audience is, is pretty universal um, but I also know that you have, you know, kind of pinpointed uh, the, you know, the, uh, the professional bicycling segment in particular and have been able to showcase your products all across the nation and perhaps internationally. I'm not sure. Um, it was, was, that, uh, was, was that kind of part of your strategic thinking in terms of, you know, filling in that gap in the professional biking space that had, I guess, previously been untapped? Yeah, it's a group that I understand. And, you know, while what I had mentioned about my experience in road racing is one thing, the mountain biking community is, was always much more sort of open-minded about cannabis and often incorporated that into the whole, you know, experience of riding your bike in woods, which is quite enjoyable, I must say. Um, so, you know, given our ability to get publicity in that segment and, you know, and, and the fact that we were in Colorado where you have a lot of outdoor, you know, enthusiasts to begin with, uh, we sort of targeted the brand towards that initially. And, and we still, for the most part do, I mean, there's not just cycling now we, we target running and, and hiking and out, outdoor activities where a lot of people do get real, you know, enjoyment out of you know, a little bit of marijuana and, and an outdoor a day, a day outside. I mean, it's anyone who hasn't tried it is missing out. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Floyd. Uh, we're going to take a, a brief, uh, brief commercial break here, and then we're going to resume uh, where we left off. Our advertisers are winners. Please check them out during this brief timeout. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. 
Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. The The Green Green Peak Peak with Richard Zwicky. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. We're back on the field of play with more Winning with Cannabis, only on CannabisRadio.com. Hello, this is your host, Bill Bronner. With winning with cannabis, I'm joined by Floyd Landis. Floyd, we were just uh, starting to kind of scratch a surface about the ascent of, of Floyd's of Leadville, um, and I want to get a better understanding of, of kind of the, the geographic. Obviously, the flagship is there, based in Leadville, uh, but you also have, uh, you know, I'm sure, tentacles uh, otherwhere. Uh, I'm sorry, in other places. How exactly, uh, aside from online, can uh, can folks access your products and learn more? So we sell, yeah, we have our, um, we have a dispensary in Leadville where we sell recreational marijuana. We also have a little store there where we sell all of our hemp derived CBD products. And we have four dispensaries in, in Portland. Those, those we branded under the name Floyd's Fine Cannabis. Um, but if you go to floydsofleadville.com, you can see, you know, that all the products we make, we make a range of, um, you know, full spectrum products that do have some, some trace amounts of THC in them. And we make some from isolate and try to, might have a risk of employment testing or just just some sort of aversion to THC in the first place. Um, and those that we distribute, we you know we've been lucky. We we distribute to probably three thousand bike shops now and a few hundred running shops. We've just started sort of targeting that, um, and and it's gone well. I mean, it's two three years ago when the CBD thing first became kind of appealing to us and it was still a little more murky as to the legality of it, it was a lot harder to sell just partly because it hadn't become this over, I'd say at this point, overhyped thing in the, in the press, but at least people have heard of it now. Right. So it's, but it still takes a, an education process to say, here's what people benefit from by using these kinds of products and, and really just, I think at the end of the day, get people to try it and see if they benefit. It's, it's rare that somebody doesn't say, look, it's, this didn't help me with anything, whether it be anxiety or, inflammation or just general feeling of well-being so 
you know, it's, it's still helpful to have this stuff available at places where there's, where, where the, um, sales, the salespeople use it and, and appreciate it and are somewhat educated on it. That's, that's really the, the, at this point, still the biggest, the biggest hurdle is education. I agree. So, um, you, you have children. We, we talked about that off air. How many do you have? I have a daughter that's five years old. Ah, terrific. I have yeah. two, 10 and uh, seven respectively. Um, <laughs> so great, great, aren't they? Yeah, it's so good. I, I used to laugh at people. They talk about how great their kids are. I think, oh, come on. But man, yeah, it's, it's, it's life changing. Have you, have you given any foresight into how you would broach the um, issue of medical marijuana with her? Obviously, you're much like myself. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, sure. cur- I'm curious to know what your approach is because I've had a couple of preliminary conversations with my daughter that have been you know, wonderfully transparent and she's like all 10-year-olds, quite inquisitive. Yeah, so no kidding. <laughs> you know, I, I've, I've been able to layer it in, in a way that really harmonizes with her, with her own outlook. I mean, not very complicated. Um, she views it as medicine, and, and she's been able to, I think, filter it as, as in, a, in a very normal way, um, which I was, uh, I, I thought it'd be more difficult to, to do. Um, I guess it was my own fears about um, how things might be misinterpreted and, and things like that. So I'm just curious as to what your what your thinking is. Yeah, I, I kind of have the same experience where I always sort of underestimate their ability to process what you're telling them in the in the context of, you know, how much experience they've had in the world and what they can actually understand. And then and obviously my, my daughter's five and I haven't had that conversation with her, but I, I don't really, I, I think I've come to the conclusion that I'll, I'll be straightforward with her about what I use it for. I think that first of all, it's not legal to, and I, I wouldn't advise anyone to allow their kids to use it. I do know that people give it to their kids if they've got epilepsy or problems that it really does have meaningful benefits for um my advice to to her is just as a as a child that's gonna have friends that probably are gonna try it is i i think that i certainly would never uh, would never make a judgment one or the other she decides to to use it recreationally in a you know in a reasonable amount as a kid although i do think i would advise her that life's life's long and there's plenty of new experiences when you're a kid that you shouldn't miss out on now. And it's might be nice to just save something for later. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. There's, there's arguments for and against it. And obviously look, you can, you can use too much of anything, especially if you're young and, and it becomes part of your, part of your, you know, sort of just life such that you don't even think about it. But, um, my, my view of it is that, you know, teenagers would be better avoiding it but they're going to use it and they should be, they should be sensible about it. Curious to know what your plans are for the holidays. You guys planning to hit the slopes uh, now that there seems to be pretty good snowpack up there in the high country. Yeah. I was worried after last year, you get a year with snow that good. You think it's going to be a dry year the next year, but it looks like you get a second one in a row. So it's going to go down to Copper Mountain and do some skiing. And I like that, that little mountain. It's great. It's not far from Leadville and it's often not, not as hectic as the, the other more, more famous mountains down there in Vail and everything else during, during the holiday season. But um, yeah, it's, it's looking like it's going to be a good one. Absolutely. As, as mentioned briefly at the outset, I worked um, in, uh, seems like many years ago now, uh, 1999, 19, 2000 timeframe as a ski instructor 
down at Copper, and it's great. Right? First year, it's I worked. Pretty underrated for people that aren't Colorado residents. They just don't hear about it. It's, it's a great little mountain. True, and uh, that, uh, my point was the first year I worked with adults, which was you know a pleasant experience. Second year I worked with the kids. My first time I ever really had an opportunity to work intimately with <laughs> a group of children, and it was a blast. It was oh, inarguably sure. the best job I had at that time. You know, they're totally intrepid. Um, oh yeah. That, that infectious, adventurous spirit. Let's just go do it. Um, So uh, yeah, enjoy yourself and uh, get plenty of turns in over the holidays and um, really appreciate you having on the program, Floyd. It was great. Appreciate your input. Reach out anytime. You know where to find me. Sounds good. Yeah. Next time in Leadville, I'll make a point of swinging in. Yeah, please do. Thanks. Thanks Floyd. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.